0: Are we
1: recording? Yes, we are. Fantastic. Let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm Louisa. I'm an autistic academic at the University of Reading, and I'm your podcast host for season three of Psychological. As you might already know if you've listened to the previous two seasons with Sue, Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown, and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning, and neurodiversity. Today's Psychological is with Liz Jones who did a PhD at Durham University and she's on the phone with me today to talk about her paper Distraction, Distress and Diversity, Exploring the Impact of Sensory Processing Differences on Learning and School Life for Pupils with Autism Spectrum Disorders. Hi Liz, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good, yeah, a bit tired at the end of the day but still good. (laughs) So So first of all, Um, The first question we're going to start off with is what you found. So could you
0: tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Yeah, sure. So I think, first of all, we we know that autistic individuals experience sensory processing differences. Mm -hmm. But I think there had been a bit of a lack of focus on how these sensory differences have an impact in school settings. So that was really the focus of this paper. So what we found is that although sensory differences are largely negative at school, there's huge variation in these differences and the impact that they have. Mm -hmm. Um, So when sensory differences do have an impact, um, they're infected learning by causing distraction in the classroom, anxiety, limiting participation, Mm -hmm. um, and also some social uh, difficulties as well. But importantly, we found that teachers and parents um, were adopting lots of strategies to reduce the impact of these sensory differences really showing that they're not a static trait and the environment is really important in shaping both the presentation, severity and impact of these differences. Wow, that sounds really interesting. So I think you kind of covered that a
1: little bit already about what motivated you to do the study because there maybe wasn't as much going on in schools. Um, Were there any other motivations to the study as well as wanting
0: to see what happened? So I think um, really the focus was on schools, but I think sensory differences is really quite an interesting avenue to, to think about how we think about autism in general. I think sensory differences really show how the environment can shape the, the autistic experience because we found that um, when the environment matched autistic individuals' needs, these differences were not having impact and actually um, autistic individuals could have a really enjoyable sensory experience. So I think it was it's quite a good way of moving from this medical model of autism to perhaps a more social or Nordic relational model and thinking about matching the environment with an individual's needs. I think that was sort of a, a philosophical or theoretical uh, motivation uh, driving this paper as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's very good motivation. And I guess if you do, if you are able to kind of implement ways to assess people's individual needs, and you know that meeting their needs correctly helps them in that environment, then it's useful to have research that supports that so people can actually implement those things in the classroom. Very useful.
0: Yeah. And um, how did you do the study that you did? So we developed um, two online questionnaires, one for parents and one for teachers. Um, and they had sort of several different sections so looking at how teachers might spot sensory differences in the classroom and um, what are the types of sensory differences that they see uh, some strategies that they use um, and then we also explored some differences between the types of provision. so looking at special schools compared to mainstream schools and also a similar version for parents and we just distributed that through social media and um, some of our Senco networks um, across the UK
1: Interesting. So you did um you asked both parents and teachers then. So even though it's kind of in schools, you asked parents as well, which is actually quite a nice way to get a bit of a different perspective. But what was the reasoning behind asking both those groups of people?
0: So I think um a couple of things we wanted to see if parents and teachers had similar views, but we know that some children um are okay in school and they sort of keep it all in and, and you know have um a, a meltdown or let it all out when they finish school. So it was sort of getting that perspective from parents as well. Um, Extremely got like a holistic picture. I think it's it's not included in this paper, but we did also ask autistic individuals um and some of their perspectives were different to what parents and teachers are saying, so much so that it's it's a separate paper actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask that next actually, if you'd asked autistic people as well for how they felt about it. That's really interesting that it's a separate paper. Is that on the way at the moment? the separate paper, are you editing that now?
0: Um uh, we're ready to submit it uh, for publication. So Very exciting! So we'll watch be able the to, space for say. Yeah,
1: definitely watch the space, see what happens next. So <laughs> yeah, so everyone today they can hear about the parent and teacher paper and read that, and then keep their eye out for the next one. So uh, be sure to send it over; I'll tweet it out for you when it's out. <laughs> but um, what's the next? So yeah, so how did you analyze the data that you
0: collected? So um, our questionnaire it was both quantitative and qualitative so nice. we just use some descriptive stats for some of the comparisons between different types of provision but predominantly we use thematic analysis and which is a type of qualitative analysis mm-hmm. so looking at um, the parents teacher data in turn and looking for themes um, mm-hmm. across these responses and we group them together mm-hmm. for each of the different sections.
1: Mm. Did you find like really big differences between the themes that
0: you had for teachers and parents or were there quite a lot of them? Um, not not so much, actually. They were both quite in, in agreement. Um, there were some more differences, I'd say, in, in provision between mainstream and special schools. Um, I think there was a sort of cons- like a, an idea that in special schools, they were perhaps better equipped to support sensory needs um, because they had, you know, greater number of staff, um, greater availability of resources, uh, which is a, which one finding that came out.
1: Yeah, there's often a higher sort of ratio of staff to pupils, isn't there? Yeah. Environments, which is definitely helpful. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Absolutely.
1: So we've gone over the analysis and everything. So um, we have also kind of covered this a little bit, saying what we could learn from the study. But where do you think you could kind of take this study next?
0: How could what you found actually be applied perhaps in the classroom? Did you sort of think of ways that you could apply what you were doing as you were doing your research? Yes, I think that's that's a really important question, and I think one of the really key things from this paper was that actually some of the strategies that parents, um, not sorry, not parents, teachers were putting in place Mm. were small adjustments. We're not talking about big, Mm. massive changes in schools. Some of them were sort of reducing the amount of stimulation in the classroom, so that could be, you know, as simple as just taking some of the posters down um, or making them more coherent and organised. There was also things as allowing some children to leave the classroom early to avoid that rush in the corridors and mm-hmm. um, there was also stuff um such as having more flexibility with the school uniform and um, you know some jumpers are scratchy so having more flexibility in that also giving more child the child more agency over their immediate environment and um, mm-hmm. so when children felt they could you know control the environment some of these sensory differences were reduced okay so yeah some of these smaller strategies I think could be implemented across different provisions which is important. Yeah. And then obviously there's some of the sort of the bigger systemic changes that need to be in place as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of you know staff numbers and stuff like that. But yeah I think some of these small adjustments are really really important. Mm-hmm
1: yeah, and it's always good. I mean, even though a lot of people are probably aware that smaller changes might make a difference, actually having kind of research to support the fact that those smaller changes are useful because it's kind of hard to change policy in the way that things work without support for having done that. But um I guess what what could come out of the research that you've done if you had like, say maybe like a checklist or kind of like a list of things that people could consider and they could see whether, the kids that they're working with would like any of those things implemented if you had like a list of the kind of easier to implement things it would be quite nice wouldn't it to be able to sort of pass that to classrooms and be like you can see if they like this like if this would help that something like that could be really useful it's kind of nice that that it it is actually small changes that are helpful that's a really nice thing to come out of that research actually that maybe helping kids that do have sensory differences isn't actually as difficult as some people might think it is which is really interesting to know so good piece of research (laughs) yeah um I had another question in my head then actually but it's just disappeared typical it's the afternoon um yeah so if you did the study again would you do anything differently about what you've what you did basically
0: I think um one thing I would change is I really like I think we didn't have enough um power or a big enough sample size to really dig down into these differences between mainstream and special. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I'd really like to look at these differences and see if these um strategies and approaches are actually different or you know, um similar across provision. So that's something I'd like to look at again. And I think also we spoke to older autistic individuals and i think i'd actually like to go down to primary school as well um mm. because we know there's a difference between these two settings yeah
1: yeah so was it how old were the students that you that you spoke to in this study the parents and teachers of those students
0: um so these were from primary and secondary but i think i'd like to speak to a primary aged um, autistic pupils themselves because so I think there's, there's obviously a lot going on in, in primary school but yeah. classrooms can could be really multi-sensory stimulating.
1: Absolutely yeah so with your other study that you're going to release talking to the autistic people yeah. with that secondary school age pupils that you spoke to then in that one.
0: Yeah so um, these are older individuals yeah yeah. Yes
1: yeah. So it would be good to get that perspective from children as well yeah that sounds yeah definitely. So how big was your sample I don't know if I, I don't know if you said that earlier how big was the.
0: Yeah so we spoke to to um about 50 mums um and then about 70 teachers okay that's so quite quite, quite a yeah. Not, yeah it's not not a bad sample yeah but obviously not quite enough to to make those provision comparisons mm.
1: yeah it's quite a large sample to do semantic analysis with as well so that must have been quite time consuming
0: yeah <laughs> it, did. it did it took a little while but um hopefully i think it, it was worth
1: it yeah no that sounds great it sounds like a really interesting piece of research and also just Really useful as well. So excited to hear about the next paper when that comes out, and I'll definitely share that. Um, yeah, did was it was it you that analysed the data, or did multiple people analyse your thematic data?
0: Um, so I analysed it, and then we had another researcher, um, you know, uh, look at a section of it just to make sure into later reliability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a part part of my PhD, so all well, my analysis. Yeah, that
1: would have taken quite a while, I think, to have for one person <laughs> to analyse all of that. <laughs> quite um, a few of the podcasts that I've recorded already have been qualitative and they've had thematic analyses as well. And Yeah, it's quite, it's quite time-heavy, isn't it, doing a
0: thematic analysis? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to hear about the study <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me today. And also the final question, which now isn't paper-related, but um, do you have any advice for anyone at an earlier stage of their career, maybe an undergraduate or someone that's starting out with their PhD?
0: Yes, I think um, I finished my PhD in September and I've gone to work for the civil service. I've moved away from academia and I think my advice would be, you know, explore all your options. Academia is not the only route you need to go down or feel pressure to go down. You have lots, lots of transferable skills um, that are really valued in both government and um, industry as well. So I think definitely be open to lots of different opportunities
1: yeah that's very good advice yeah because you, you learn so many things during doing a phd it helps you with so many different skills so yeah definitely good to know that they're transferable um i mean for undergraduate students as well even if they're kind of thinking about more academic careers there are kind of research focused posts that aren't in academia as well aren't there so definitely keeping your options open at all stages of your career is yep. really important <laughs> advice thank you very much for that um and for anybody listening thank you very much for joining us today you can find out more about liz and her research by following the links in the description so there'll be a link to the paper in the podcast description Um, and that'll be on Buzzsprout or you can find it in your podcast app and join us again at the same time next week for another episode of Psychological.
0: Bye!